You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Hello, mates. Welcome back to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. I am welcoming back to the show, first of all, Rick. How are you, mate? I'm not doing well. All right. Bright and cheerful, as I remember. (laughs) I, I, I have that coronavirus thing going on, so I'm under a lot of medication. (laughs) oh no (laughs) bloody glad we do this podcast at a distance um also welcoming back to the show our lovely mate bruce bernizzi bruce it's been one year and five days since you've been on the show i just done a math real quick and i think it checks out and we got a lot to catch up on how have you been oh i've been great uh it's been a super busy year um i did something like 12 conventions last year including uh, getting together with some of the rest of the classic Gamers Guild at uh, PAX Prime, uh, which was pretty amazing. So, yeah, it's been wonderful. Oh, yes. How did that go? Well, how did that go? You were there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was wonderful. I mean, I think uh, we all enjoyed getting to hang out with uh, Lori and Corey Cole. Oh, yeah. And helping them with their their presence, uh, exhibiting... Uh, their new games at PAX, and uh, I think everyone learned a, a lot about uh, doing conventions, and um, hopefully I'll be able to to give some advice that makes it an even better <laughs> presentation the next time they do it. So oh, it's another reason I'm really bummed out that I missed that show. I, I missed the opportunity to, to hang out with everyone. Bloody all the guests that come on the show have been there, and I missed it. I couldn't go because then everyone would find out that I'm just catfishing them, and I'm actually a 29-year-old Norwegian girl. So to... <laughs> you think we would object to that? <laughs> you think that Nothing... would not be some sort of an improvement? <laughs> Nothing wrong with Norwegians. <laughs> So you've been you've done what a dozen conventions, but before we get into like the 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 meat of that, or or AKA what listeners probably actually want to hear from that, let me get out of the way. Do you have any do you have any like kind of crazier convention stories? Any tomfoolery at a convention or traveling issues? Anything fun? Uh, well, my flight from uh, Phoenix, I think what is it called? Uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion. Um, my flight back to Seattle, the airplane had a major issue, like one of their systems failed and, uh, we had to, to, to turn back around after maybe 30 minutes or so and circle the airport a few times. And then we came in, uh, hot, I guess, I don't know, <laughs> like landing, the landing gear wasn't able to withdraw up into the plane was was part of the issue Mm -hmm. um so probably some sort of an issue with the hydraulic systems and so they had all of these like you know fire trucks and ambulances and stuff (laughs) around us on the on the um on the tarmac as we came back into uh into phoenix so that's probably my my craziest story over the past year Hey, do you know, uh, I'm not sure in this particular case, but do you know why uh, generally when planes have to make an early landing, why they have to circle around a bit before they land? Um, I think it's often to do with the fuel. It is. Um, they need to burn off the fuel because they're too heavy to land. They they actually plan the fuel based on how much they're going to burn off by making the full trip. Yeah. And if they don't, then uh, they're too heavy to land and that could be uh, disastrous. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Don't want to have a, a big fireball with uh, Bruce at the center cooking. Ideally not. <laughs> that, that's probably like yeah. 80% success when they really want to go for 90 or above. Yeah. <laughs> so thankfully it was all, it was all fine. Um, in the end, we just ended up having to stay in, in Phoenix, uh, a few, you know, some, some hours into the evening, uh, more than, than had been planned and, uh, eventually got safely home to Seattle. What a, what a comforting, uh, welcome that must be to see flashing ambulance lights <laughs> anticipating oh, yeah. a disastrous yeah. ending. Well, they, they warned us. They were like, you know, just don't panic people like this is what you're gonna see this you know and uh you know i think a large part of the the job of the um the pilot in that sort of situation mm. is just to keep a very level calm voice and yeah. keep every everyone from going uh bananas don't worry everyone it's normal for you to see fire on the wings yeah <laughs> we, are, uh, that we are dealing with this and you'll be okay and and gremlins, you know. Yeah. Don't worry about that gremlin sitting there pulling, pulling wires out of the airplane wing. I, I just I knowing our, our listener base, I, I can't be the only one that that when you said they're turning the plane around, immediately thought of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade oh. that moment. <laughs> well, I do have the Indiana Jones style hat, so it would have been very appropriate, right? I, I would have picked up on that easier if uh, Bruce was traveling in a Zeppelin. Mm, it's true. Yes, yeah. they've fallen out of fashion lately. I've heard. <laughs> So mate, what's a what's what's a convention day like for you? Uh well, let's see. So after I get my stuff all all set up um before the convention and then I'm basically standing on my feet for most of like a could be a 9-hour day. Um sometimes I'll have a, an assistant um every time I do a convention away convention especially uh, I'll throw the word out there to to friends and contacts on social media and see if anyone uh, is local. Mm. And so sometimes I've got you know friends or, or people who are who are interested in helping out. Sometimes even fans. Um, I'm always happy to you know give them uh, some some free swag and uh, a free badge to the show and let them have some time to to go and enjoy the show. You know, the main thing is to, it's nice to have uh, bathroom breaks and it's nice to be able to to grab um, lunch and, and stuff like that uh, mm -hmm. when you're at this convention. You're doing these super long days. Most conventions that I do are like uh, three days is pretty typical. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, really long days and, you know, put, trying to put on a, a bright smile and uh, be more outgoing than I would be by nature. <laughs> What's usually your most successful convention? Or at least what was the most, um, if you don't have a straight answer for that, what was the most successful convention for you uh, this past year? Uh, generally, Gen Con is one of, the, one of the biggest and best. That one is in Indianapolis mm -hmm. in like july august around then it's one of the biggest uh tabletop gaming conventions in the world so that one is always really really successful for me mm -hmm. um another one that that does really well is emerald city comic-con which is here in seattle and um it's just a great show uh lots of people who 
you know, love art. And since it's a, a tech city with lots of money, people have money to buy said art, which is very important for me, putting food on the table and all. Yeah, it keeps your costs down too a bit, I imagine. <laughs> yes, it's nice when it's uh, basically, you know, 15, 20 minutes down the highway um, instead of across the country like so many of my other shows. So actually, how do you make the uh, cross-country trips? Like, I'm curious about like carrying all the stock. Uh, yeah, so I, I fly out for basically all of those shows. Anything that's that's further than maybe three to five hours drive uh, is probably a show that I'm flying to. And I've got all my stock so that I can get it into a couple large suitcases. Oh, wow. And then I'll usually have like a, a duffel bag or, you know, something of that nature with like a photo backdrop that I can hang my banner on. Mm -hmm. And so I usually have to check three items of luggage, although I figured out over the course of the year that it might actually be cheaper for me to literally just uh, buy a new photo backdrop off of Amazon and have it shipped to, to wherever I'm going for all of my away shows. Right. So I guess I might, I might be doing that because <laughs> third, third item of luggage, uh, both ways gets a little pricey. Yeah. I was, I was half expecting you to say that you, you would ship it there, you know, ahead of yourself, but, it, but I guess it's, it's probably difficult to find a destination to ship it to. And know yeah, that it'll it depends. Be there it depends. And since I mostly use Airbnbs when I'm doing these shows, uh, I don't know how cool they would be with me shipping stuff uh, <laughs> uh, to the Airbnb. I might, I might have to have some conversations with people and see, you know, what's possible. Or since I, uh, I do have a lot of other artist friends who do many of these shows, and so some of these places I might be able to to ship things to their hotel and and just pick it up from them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's that's one of the little logistics things i need to figure out this year and how about uh how about uh, your work itself like tell us about some of the new pieces you've done over the past year since we last heard from you uh sure so i've i've been working on a lot of new client work of course i've got some you know more more stuff from numenera which we talked about extensively last time uh i've got uh bunch of new work for, from some other tabletop companies that liked what I'd been doing for Numenera. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, continuing to grow. And then what's keeping me sane is the work that I do on my Patreon, uh, which is kind of like a world building project where I'm imagining, um, I'm imagining, you know, the world maybe some thousands of years in the future. Uh, kind of like a, a, a Numenera-esque situation where high technology has fallen and humans have departed and and the world's been ravaged by uh, genetic plagues that have altered things beyond recognition. So it's a very alien future world. Um, so I'm exploring that and I've been exploring a retelling of Frankenstein uh, if the Frankenstein monster was uh, basically an experiment left behind by humans after they left the planet, and so he's abandoned in this in this place of ruins and and wasteland, and so it's kind of a an exploration of of abandonment really. Um, but I got some really great pieces out of that uh, project over the course of the year and. Um, 
the eventual goal is to to maybe kickstart some short story books where I'm you know combining the writing and uh, the illustrations that I do and uh, bringing people into this weird other world that I've been creating for for many many years. That's really cool. Yeah, that's my favorite part of of your personal works is is the. The, the the works where there's a lot of ruins and and you can't really tell if it's another planet or if it's earth and and you know civilization is kind of dawned all over again and are uh you know c coming to coming to to being if you will with with the surroundings of the destruction of the past it's, it's really cool it definitely lets the the mind wander yeah I, I mean i think we we talked about that a little bit last time with numenera but it's that kind of that feeling of a, a weird sort of hope about what kind of world could exist after we've irredeemably screwed things up <laughs> um and that you know life finds a way right so mm -hmm. <laughs> uh that's that's of interest to me to explore in in a lot of the work that i do i, I believe the saying is life uh uh finds a way right <laughs> <laughs> can't can't forget you know the the all-important uh us that uh... <laughs> so so when you set up at a, at a convention are you generally advertising the the commercial works that you've done um it's a variety actually in terms of what sells um some of my personal work sells really really well and some of my uh, commercial work sells really, really well. I tend to test out pieces and see, okay, I think this one might be able to, might be popular with people. So I'll print up, you know, maybe like five to 10 uh, prints and I will see if people like them. And, and you know, some sometimes it's the stuff, um, like I've got a pirate ship piece that's been very popular. Uh, some of my Frankenstein pieces have been doing quite well lately. Um, I have a piece where dice are falling from the sky. That's been very, very popular. And uh, Slay the Spire, of course, has been a, a huge seller for me because uh, that game continues to conquer <laughs> all before it. <laughs> That's right. Won quite a bit of awards last year, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I honestly can't even remember all the ones that it, it won <laughs> and the ones that it was up for, but basically all of the major game magazines uh, that I can think of, I think, you know, um, you know, like PC Gamer, IGN, etc, etc, um, myself and the other core devs uh, from Megacrit, the company, the very tiny company that made the game, uh, we actually flew out to London for the, uh, I think it was the Games Radar Awards. Mm, nice. Uh, it was like the the golden uh, the golden joystick awards actually, but sponsored by Games Radar and some other companies. And uh, so I got to fly out for that. We didn't win anything, um, but just being nominated uh, mm. in that company of games, I mean, it was like literally us and the best of the best of mostly AAA games, you know, a few indie games as well. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, uh, so we were up for best indie and uh, PC game of the year. I believe we were nice. up for both of, nominated for both of those. Um, 
I'm trying to remember. Outer Wilds, I think, was the one that won Best Indie. Right. And I don't know a lot about it, but it looks like a really cool game. Is that the... Uh, um, I, I'm not sure if I'm crossing my uh, wires here. Was that the one that was made by the Fallout people? Uh, that one was made by... Um, oh, I'm totally off, aren't I? I'm going to look this up. Hang on. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's two that have very similar names. There's mm-hmm. Outer Wilds, and then there's the one that's like the Fallout people, That's but, but in space, right? Yeah. Um, Outer Wilds was actually funded by... Um, I forget the actor's name, but he played Hero on oh, um, Heroes. Heroes. Yeah, the TV oh, wow. show. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, was, yeah, I didn't know he had anything to do with anything like that sort of thing. Yeah, so apparently he's been. That's one of the things that he's been investing his his time and money into. So, so that one won an award, and then um, uh, World of Warcraft Classic won PC Game of the Year, which was. I have to say, really? a bit <laughs> stings a bit to <laughs> to lose to a a you game that's that. fif- fifteen <laughs> years old. <laughs> well, you can't I mean, do that. You can't just re-release the same game over and over again and win everything. Yeah, it was it was a very <laughs> odd choice. We all thought. Yeah. Um, we weren't expecting to win PC Game of the Year. Like, I mean, the other contenders were also, like, way up there. Like, I mean, all the best games you've heard about from this yeah. past year, probably. But World of Warcraft Classic winning was just like, but... what? So, so, so does that mean if they've re-released The Godfather into theaters, it's going to clean up at the Oscars again? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, yeah. Or uh, or one of um, George Lucas's uh, remastered <laughs> Star Wars is, is going to clean up. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So, you know, it's like, okay, I get that it's a, a nostalgia thing. But the yeah. funny thing is, those awards even have an award that's specifically for those games like Warcraft. Uh, the award was something like games we're still playing. Mm. And it's like, why doesn't <laughs> Warcraft win that one? Yeah. It shouldn't be up for game of the year yeah. in 2019. Okay. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> oh man. I did not know that that happened. And now I, uh, I am uh, retroactively upset for all the time between then and now. <laughs> yeah. When, when they say game, when they say game of the year, I, d- I didn't know the word year was like, you know, subjective. It's, <laughs> You know, timey wimey, wibbly wobbly, yeah. right? <laughs> it's all cyclical. It's, uh, that's crazy. But regardless, well, we're we're very pleased with how how well the game's been received. Uh, I think they've sold millions of copies at this point. It's on Switch and PS. Uh, we're up to what PS4 now. Uh, the latest Xbox. Uh, I think they're porting it to mobile currently. Um, and it's just, you know, like basically it's, it's gotten uh, a wonderful reception from all the, all the critics and, you know, ec- extra credit and, uh, rock, paper, shotgun, and like all, all these various venues that, uh, we've looked up to for, for years. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's been amazing and unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one one of the cool things about that game is is how how original it is to the point where from from what I understand there's there's already numerous clones of it either out or in the works. So I, th- I think you know that that may be one of the the highest honors as far as I would I would just imagine from the outside is is that you know the game has inspired people to to you know start to clone it and things like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's essentially. 
you know, it, they they kind of created a new subgenre um, of, I guess, what was it, the deck builder, dungeon crawler, um, roguelike kind of uh, hybrid. Uh, I will say that there were a couple games that came out around the same time, like actually a little bit before Slay the Spire, that had a similar kind of merging of genres, but just didn't have as much popularity, uh, didn't make as much as, as big of a splash, and you know perhaps you know maybe didn't uh, execute the um, the details of, of the game as as quite as smoothly as um, Slay the Spire did. Um, I'm trying to remember what what they're called off the top of my head. I think there's one called like Dream Quest, and one that's like Monster something or other. Um, and it's an interesting, it's kind of an interesting thing because I don't, I definitely don't think that the mega crit guys were, were, you know, stealing anyone's March. Mm -hmm. I think it was kind of just an idea that whose time had kind of come. Um, right. and it was kind of an outshoot of other games that exist in the tabletop space and mixing that in with what's possible in, uh, computer games. Um, and I think that those other games that had come out, like maybe a little earlier than, than Slay the Spire, like in the year or two before it actually came out. And I can tell you these, you know, mega crit and I was, you know, making art for this game, like, you know, well before those came out, um, that, you know, in part it's, it's things like, you know, you want if you can to invest in all the aspects of a, of a polished game, mm -hmm. uh, it's great if you have a, a really cool idea, but people aren't going to trust it and buy it in, in huge numbers. Um, if you don't have things like proper music and sound and art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so from my understanding, those other games, you know, they, they, hit that same kind of area of uh, neat uh, design space, but they had like programmer art and stuff. So it just, you know, it, it mm. looked horrible. And, you know, even I can't say that Slay the Spire is entirely immune from that. The art in the game is primarily from three different people. And about a third of the art is programmer art. And a lot of people have brought that up, and I always have to kind of like disassociate from that. <laughs> uh, and I did all of the background art, and I did the title art for the game. So you know the the iconic picture that comes up when you when you go on Steam and and try to buy the game. That's the one that I did, and then the backgrounds, the environments in the game, and then there's another artist who does all the um, all the card art and all the event art and uh, some of the other art assets. And then there's a programmer who does the, uh, the character art right. and some of the, like, the smallest uh, art assets in the game. Um, right. What's funny is, is it's often not the, uh, 
the 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 game or whatever the genre it's not usually the the one that is the actual true first to do it that gets the recognition um in other words like you know uh, macintosh apple gets credit for the first gui even though it was xerox and no, nobody sure. cares about you know the xerox gui and um you know what, what was before wolfenstein 3d i think it was like maze war it almost doesn't really matter who the the technical first one was it's it's the first one to to you know hit critical uh, recognition Hit, and success sure. that gets hitting with. hitting critical mass and enough people playing it and i think in in our case um being in early access and then it was kind of it was discovered by a lot of uh chinese game players i believe first and then they were playing this game and really enjoying it and then it kind of leaked over to the um english-speaking side of youtube and um let's plays and people who were who were doing these mm-hmm. on a regular basis and so we got some really big big name with you know huge following uh kind of people who were who were playing this game um in particular i don't know if you guys are familiar with northern lion uh but he has quite the following in terms of games that are like roguelikes mm-hmm. and roguelites and um things like binding of isaac and and stuff of that nature and so he picked up the game and he was so bad at it (laughs) that when you watch all it takes is watching like one of his let's plays and anyone with like some basic like logic and stuff like i'm i'm not even very good at deck builder type games but watching him you're just like no don't do that (laughs) okay i gotta buy this game because i can play this so much better than he can (laughs) um and to be fair to him he played the game a whole bunch and he got much better at it and he eventually beat like the highest difficulty in the final the final extra boss and all the rest of that Mm -hmm. um so he he is you know um sucked the marrow out of the bone so to speak Mm -hmm. uh you know maximum attainment uh but those early videos in particular i think really motivated a lot of people to buy the game because they were just like this looks like fun i can do this so much better i have to get this thing right and it just kind of like snowballed from there uh just to satisfy your curiosity there paul uh maze war was considered arguably the first first person shooter it just wasn't the um it, it was back in 73 so it was just static screen um, block motion as opposed to the smooth scrolling Wolfenstein 3D. Okay, okay, gotcha. No, thanks, mate. Yeah, cause it, uh, I, I've never actually seen it in motion, so I, I, I didn't know that, but I know from my, my mental picture of it, it, it has those, you know, pseudo 3D walls and, mm-hmm. and this weird floating eyeball that I, I can't get out of my brain now that you mentioned it. <laughs> it's very wizardry style or uh, your early Might and Magics where it is just right. like screen by screen. Um, which a lot of games like Grimrock kind of uh, tries to throw back to. Yeah, the the so-called uh, blobbers, I think they're called. Is right? that what they're called? Yeah, because the I think the name is is supposedly because your whole party is one blob. Oh, yes. That just moves from <laughs> from spot to spot. Yeah. Uh, through the dungeon. Oh, that's pretty. <laughs> Blobbers, all right, noted. And I guess, I guess, really, if anything, it, it kind of proves the point that whatever is technically first kind of doesn't matter because odds are, you know, somebody just hearing the name is going to have to Google it, um, mm-hmm. which you know doesn't get the point across that it that it broke ground. Sure. In any sort of yeah. Way. Yeah, that's that's often the case. You know, yeah. people come up with um, really interesting ideas, but at the end of the day, 
um, and this is something that's that's very relevant for me as an artist. It's not so much the novel idea that is king in terms of like success. It's the execution mm -hmm. of the idea. Like how well can you execute it will give people confidence. And there's also a bit of luck too, yeah. you know, and you can compare like throughout technology. There's so many examples of that, like VCR, Betamax, yeah, beta you know, versus like VHS. Right. All, a, all sorts of things. Well, there's uh, two sayings. Uh, one particularly famous is uh, it's not who did it first, it's who did it best. Uh, but the other one, which I uh, uh, enjoy a little bit more for the imagery, is um, the uh, the early bird gets the worm, but it's the second mouse who gets the cheese. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice, yeah. Very, very succinctly put. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Precisely. And I, I don't even think it's, it's necessarily who did it best because arguably I've heard that Betamax was, was That's supposedly the better technology. Mm -hmm. It's who manages to get to critical mass first mm -hmm. uh, tends to be the biggest success out of those those particular um, uh, rivalries. You can't be as bitter as those who built up a large HD DVD collection for that's all. <laughs> oh <laughs> Just man, go away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It all lives in the cloud now. <laughs> uh, I, I was really hoping HD DVD would win that one. <laughs> oh well so it goes so as, as far as as far as uh, say this the spire first of all I, I guess i should say the main thing on my mind which is the the background art the art that you've done is is so uh so blatantly your work um and that's that's something i i, I love about your work and, and tend to admire about any sort of artist is when they leave some sort of fingerprint you know where there's there's something that you you just it's inherently that person's work and you can just tell and and i so i love that about your work and i love that looking at the the background art you, you can just kind of see your fingerprint all over it from from you know kind of foggy dim lit backgrounds with these bright blue and green lights protruding forward um i don't know it's just very uniquely your work um, which I, I just just kind of wanted to say. That's not really a question, is it? It's just a statement. Um, sure. Well, thank so you uh, first of all, <laughs> and that's definitely that's that's kind of the holy grail for a lot of artists mm -hmm. is the idea of establishing our own voice. Um, I think it's a it's a big part of of you know. Um, I mean, it's it's a big part of being true to yourself as an artist. Uh, it's also a big part of being able to establish a brand that can, um, you know, make more money as an artist and make it a sustainable living because um, people, you know, will pay a lot less for, for the sort of image making that's very commoditized and uh, the where the competition between artists has pushed the prices down. So that's why, for example, you know, uh, compared to what I do, a lot of the anime art, a lot of the fan art, a lot of the things of that nature that you see in comic cons, the prices are constantly being pushed down. Like the, everyone's competing mm. uh, in the same arena as it were with the same voice that they've all b borrowed from the same movies <laughs> and the same TV shows. And, you know, largely when talking about anime, for example, stylistically, you know, I have nothing against it, but it's a style that was developed in part to make it easy for teams of artists 
to all work together on the same project and not have a specific voice. Mm -hmm. So in embracing that, a lot of artists have basically devalued their own work um, and they're competing in a forum where the style itself is designed to make it easy for other people to compete with you. Right. So I think it's something that, that, you know, if you want to move up the value chain and uh, sell higher value art, make more money, uh, make a more sustainable living and not be a starving artist, it's, you know, it's something you have to consider. Um, you know, maybe it's it's possible to make a good living off of, of those things, but you have to you have to sell obscene quantities um, in order to do so. Mm hmm. And there are some people who do that. Um, seems to be very few of them. And so I guess my opinion is it's probably actually easier <laughs> to pursue <laughs> your own voice uh, than to than to try and compete with like the Walmarts of the of the art world. So how's the uh, so how's the the year ahead looking for you? Is there anything uh, anything on the horizon of uh, special note? Uh, well, it's looking just as busy. I've got at least 12 conventions lined up for this year. Mm -hmm. I'll be going to my first one uh, in just a few days. I'll be going to Conuga in Tennessee, in Chattanooga. I've got relatives down there, so um, I started doing the show last year, and it was a nice opportunity to hang out with relatives that I don't get to see uh, too often, and... Um, you know, get get my foot wet for for conventions for the year, and then from there it just kind of oh, it's going to be a busy year. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be all over the place. I'll be going to Denver and Phoenix, yeah. and I've got shows here in Seattle, and I'll be going to Indianapolis, and I might even get all the way to Atlanta for Dragon Con. Uh, who knows? Nice. Uh, how, how I haven't we... heard back from that one yet. Yeah. How is uh, life on the road and the convention scene? Like, do you get to enjoy the places that you get to see? Uh, well, I don't tend to spend a lot of extra time there because any extra time I spend in the places that I'm traveling to is time away from the studio, which means mm. I'm not getting freelance work uh, that I need to, to get done. I'm not getting personal work to feed into this whole business uh, done. And I've got a, a little, you know, one and a half year old kid at home that I, I love to hang out with. So uh, and my wife, of course. So, right. you know, it's 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 actually kind of it's tough. It's lonely uh, in that sense. On the other hand, I've got a lot of artist friends who do a lot of the same conventions that I do. Mm -hmm. So I get to hang out with them and uh, see them quite regularly, even though we're coming from all over the country. And usually each day after the convention's done, we'll go out and, you know, find some food and talk shop for a bit uh so that part's quite nice that is cool i, I was curious you mentioned uh, that you basically don't don't really get the time on the road to work on any artwork so this question might be just kind of doff but if you were to practice or not practice but just work on sketches or or you know just do an art for fun would you would you take like a, a pen and paper or would you bring like a Wacom tablet and go on the computer? In other words, is it, is it strictly digital at this point in life? Uh, yeah, all my commercial work pretty much is digital. I would like to start um, 
re-exploring some traditional work uh, for one thing because there's kind of like a higher tier of collectors who will you know be very excited to collect um, traditional originals that are completely unique like that so I've been thinking about doing some paintings based on my on my pieces that I'm the pieces that I'm most excited about maybe you know recreating them in uh, in paint and having it's cool. like okay that will be the one-of-a-kind you know equivalent of this piece um, I do have an iPad with me when I'm on the road and I do have an, an Apple pencil so uh, I can technically do some sketching and some painting you know procreates a nice a nice product that sort of recreates a bit of the uh, Photoshop experience so it's it's possible it's just I'm kind of exhausted and I'm doing a lot of other things uh, I guess when I'm on the road so I'm not trying to like double dip my time <laughs> I don't want to burn out right. yeah um, so I tend not to do a whole lot of sketching when I'm out on the road got you got you um, I've, I've got another another question on Slay the Spire for, for you so one, one thing that's, that's really cool is that I, I like how the, the character art in the background art they fit really well together there's quite a harmony between between the art styles considering it was it was different artists um, you know yourself doing the backgrounds mm -hmm. and others doing the characters. Let's sure. say, what what kind of what kind of like guidelines or or structure were you given, if any, when it came to creating the backgrounds? Um, they gave me a little bit of information. Like there, I guess you could say, um, the artist who did or the the programmer who did the uh, the character art also. Um, kind of acted as the art director. And so uh, he would do some sketches um, for each of the areas. And that kind of was the concept art that I would work from. And they would give me some description about what each area was supposed to be like. Like, okay, the first area is kind of this dingy dungeon basement kind of area. Uh, the second area is a city. And the city has this theme of hierarchy and birds. And so the powerful in this city live in these kind of like birdhouse structures that are like very narrow columns at the base, but they widen out at the top. And and so being able to fly, for example, or maybe just, you know, having uh, a little too much appreciation for birds uh, has led to this, uh, this place having that, that you know, that uh, hierarchy, um, wealthy structures above, and then uh, very humble, cobbled together hovels uh huddled on the floor below them and so these were things that you know we'd, we'd have like a skype chat or something uh ahead of me uh turning in my first rough sketches so that i just had an idea and i wouldn't say that they were too um i don't know over overpowering in terms of like uh, feedback and stuff they did let let me uh, come up with a lot of how these things actually looked uh, for myself um, but they we, we would have like an initial discussion and some initial like very rough uh, concept art 
as a starting point. That's pretty cool. I, I like the idea of, of more descriptive instructions as opposed to any sort of rough examples. That way you, you, you have true, true expressive freedom instead of having something kind of stuck in, in the back of your head based on, you know, a, a sketch that somebody else done. So that, that's, I, I would think that would be kind of ideal where you could just run with it. Did you, did you submit like a, a couple of different options per background and they would pick from it? Uh, not for this particular project, uh, at least not that I, I don't have any recollection of that being the case. I think in the third area, I actually did um, sketch. I did sketch out some concepts on paper um, because uh, the area has a very abstract feel. Um, it's a lot of bones and ice uh, connecting in weird um weird ways like kind of like a uh, um, uh, H uh, what is it HR Geiger um, the artist mm -hmm. that the the alien movies are essentially based on uh, stylistically mm -hmm. um, was kind of the feel of that area but I wanted to kind of get you know and they they had mixed in some ideas um, from Magic the Gathering and and stuff like that as far as you know like um there's like floating uh, geometric shapes and then there's this this bony weird mass uh also a little bit i was actually drawing some inspiration from uh the land of the dead in uh king's quest 6 yeah nice uh, for that particular nice. area so um so yeah so i did some sketches myself on that one after they had described sort of what they were looking for and then um, and then I would just kind of like leap into the background and start pushing shapes around and coming up with something that looked neat to me and then sharing it with them. And most of their feedback at that point would end up just being like, okay, refine it some more and we'll be good. That's pretty cool. Did you ever, I, I know with, with uh, some of the lines of work that I'm involved in, be, being in the background is, is uh, of the utmost importance. So I guess the question is, was there a concern at any point with some of the work being too loud that it might grab too much attention? Uh, yeah, that's, that's always definitely something that, that you have to keep in mind uh, with this sort of game stuff. So we were kind of playing around with um, colors, trying to keep things from being too contrasty in the background, also values of dark to light, um, mm. so that the characters in the middle ground uh, would be able to read really clearly because the the overall structure of each scene has a foreground with like some stuff that's kind of sticking up down at the bottom of the screen. And then there's like a plane uh, that the characters are fighting on and that's kind of where the focus really needs to be and then there's the background which just gives us an overall atmosphere uh for each area and so it was actually interesting um because i was i was doing prints of all of these uh recently i did a a kickstarter uh for um for my art from the game uh last summer uh, where I was putting my art onto prints and playmats, and I was updating the art because when they commissioned the art, they only had two of the characters designed, and now there's four. Um, 
And so when I was doing the prints, I realized that most of these backgrounds are like so dark and dingy, they don't really print very well. So I had to to make some significant um, changes to how dark they were, basically, in order for them to print. So what works for the computer screen and for, for use uh, is different than what's useful for, for prints. Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah, some adjustments. And to those listening who, who don't have uh, any mental imagery of Slay the Spire, when you're describing the, the foreground uh, having some clutter, it just, when I saw it, it reminded me of like the beginning of Space Quest 3, um, where you got, you got, you know, this this kind of clutter, and and, and then you have the, the, the center ground, I think, as you maybe called it, where you've got the main character. Uh, the middle ground. Done. <clears throat> middle ground, thank you. So you were talking about your uh, Patreon work there. Um, how 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 is your Patreon structured right now? Tier structures. Uh, basically, at the at the bottom, it's like people who are just like you know egging me on, do more. <laughs> uh, at the at the higher tiers, uh, there's you know a variety of of perks that you can get, like uh, postcards at intervals or uh, prints at in, at intervals, um, discounts on my online shop. Um, sharing basically the behind the scenes uh, stuff, having access to all of the stories that go along with the art, um, you know, things, things of that nature. Basically, it's Patreon's always this uh, really careful balance, um, I find, uh, tr trying to give something back to the community of people uh, who support the the work, but at the same time, um, uh, not trying to load myself up with with too much extra in the way of of duties and fulfillment. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, what I found is that most of the most of these people are are supporting just because they want me to do more of the thing, and they they mm -hmm. will, you know through the Patreon or through my other social media, they'll get to see it, they'll get to enjoy it, and they'll get to know that it's happening because they're supporting. Right. Um, and as an artist, that's a really hard thing to accept. You're always like, oh, but what else do you want from me? Like, <laughs> this can't be it. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, here, take my blood, take my heart. Uh, you know, what, what else can I, can I do? Uh, but really, it's just a matter of connecting with people over a, a period of time, and they they connect with you on a personal level. Uh, they connect with your art that speaks to them. It's something that they're not getting or seeing maybe from elsewhere, and they want to see more of it. And so they're like, "Yeah, I'll I'll chip in a few bucks, uh, you know, and if you you know would like more perks and and or just you know they have the means to support." Uh, more than that and they'll give more so it's been pretty good it's it's uh, i've been running the patreon for um like a year and a half now and it's going quite well great that's good to hear um, might i might i recommend uh, like a very top tier for like a thousand dollars where where you offer <laughs> a tastefully drawn nude of said patreon <laughs> supporter you know like titanic style real romantic well, the funny thing with that is that I'm a landscape painter, not a not a character artist. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you want a nude that looks more like a landscape, okay. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> All right, so uh, we're just about out of time here, but in closing, any plugs, shout outs, or any little uh, things you'd like to wrap up with? Uh, well, you can find me on patreon.com slash Bruce Brunizi, and I know my name's a difficult one, but I assume it's going to be up on your site. It'll be the name of the episode, even. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and my website for generals, you can just go and uh, enjoy the art that I've I've been able to make public is uh, brucebrunizi.com. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again, Bruce, for taking the time to join us. Uh, it is, um, I can honestly say, always a pleasure to have you on. It's uh, very fascinating to hear from the uh, artistic side of things. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for being here, mate. I, I think I, I get really kind of warmed up the more we go every time we talk to you. So I think all my good questions are built up towards the end. So we, we might have to just bloody have you on a, a, again uh, another another year anniversary or something so I can I can get some of the ones I just thought of out oh. of my system. Wait, do you have more questions, Paul? No, no, not not. We're, you know, we, we can we can close out. We can save it for for next time. Don't call me out, mate. I have none. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be happy to to be on in another uh, year and five days. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for now, drop us a line if you would like to demand uh, Bruce come back uh, sooner rather than later. Then um, start shouting at us on Facebook. We have a group. We have a page. Uh, we're on Twitter at the CG Guild. You can find us on Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash Classic Gamers Guild. We are on Instagram sometimes at CGG Podcast. And um, oh, yes, and we have an email address, which is mail at classicgamersguild.com. And I, th I think that's all of it. Did I miss anything else, Paul? No, I think we gave the listeners a lot of homework. There's, okay. a, there's a lot of awesome. Patreons you got to check out. Yeah. Call your moms, drink lots of water. Check out all of those things. Study for it. It's on the exam. Exactly. <laughs> and again, thanks, thanks for being on, Bruce. We bloody love you, mate. And thank you all for listening. And don't do a murder. <laughs>